G'day, Tom Bosner here for the Well Workplaces podcast by Pinnacle Health Group. And today I'm just about to get on a call or a recording and a podcast studio with Poppy Griffiths, who's the director of Unlimit U, which is a high performance consultancy. And she's a keynote speaker and educator on all things leadership, working parents, and creating a great team culture in the workplace. Now, today is an International Women's Day themed podcast, and the theme for this year is Embrace Equity or Embracing Equity. And so Poppy and I, as as I go into this discussion, we'll be talking a little bit about how to get really practical with embracing equity in the workplace and talking about it on an individual level, at a team level, and also at an organizational level. Sometimes with these awareness type days, I think they can fly past with kind of missing the message and also missing practical things to come out of it. So I'm really interested in learning a little bit from Poppy on this particular topic. And we'll touch on calling out biases in the workplace, finding allyship, and also building DEI solutions that work in the workplace. So we'll be picking her brain. I'm sure she's got some really awesome points to share. And if your workplace is interested in joining us on this International Women's Day stream, then join us live on LinkedIn or connect with us through YouTube or, or feel free to listen to the recording of the podcast um, at a later date through the Well Workplaces podcast on Apple Podcast or Spotify, or wherever you choose to listen to podcasts. But that's my preamble ramble relating to Poppy Griffiths and also International Women's Day, this special podcast that we're recording right now. Anyway, wish me luck. Catch you later. G'day and welcome to the show, Poppy. How are you going? Hi, Tom. I'm very well. How are you? Yeah, really good on this lovely day in Melbourne. Um, now, International Women's Day. Very excited to hear you talk and to have a conversation with you about this. As we all probably know, the theme is embrace equity. And I guess, you know, naturally when I read that and thanks to you and prompting uh, this discussion and, and looking into it, I guess like an instantly thought, I, I kind of thought equality, like equality versus equity, I kind of had me thinking like that for a minute. And then I just thought my initial thought with equity was more about, I guess, creating inclusive environments and naturally yeah. in a workplace setting. Now, I, I'm, I profess not to be an expert in um, diversity, in inclusion at all, but I'm, uh, I like to talk practically. And uh, hopefully today, between us, we can come up with, uh, well, my, mostly yourself, I guess, coming up with some really practical ideas. I guess you probably, maybe you feel like this, Poppy, maybe you don't, but I feel like sometimes with these uh, awareness days or these days that are either international or national, sometimes they fly by and you don't really get a, besides maybe a, a speaker talking or maybe something that's a little bit tokenistic in the workplace happening. It flies by and then you miss the miss the lesson or the the main thought around it. So I'm hoping today we can kind of extract a few things out of this uh, International Women's Day, um, something practical for people. So um, yeah, what did you think of the the theme, Poppy, when when it sort of launched and when thinking about today? Like, what does it what does it mean to you? Embrace equity. Yeah, it's a great. It is a great question because I think to your point, equity, equality, you know, international yeah. women diversity and inclusion, you know, they're all buzzwords, um, if you like. And I think for a lot of us, leaders, organizations, individuals, we're all still sort of navigating and working out what diversity and inclusion is, what it can be, how to improve it. 
um, you know, it is absolutely a journey and I don't think anyone has sort of the silver bullet, uh, if you like. Um, but it, I think in line with what you've said, Tom, I'm all for practical action. So I think, mm. you know, there is always a lesson and, um, and an opportunity and ideas that we can share. But I think on these occasions, it's so important that we just give people some practical action, just simple practical action so that if you, you know, you're at an event, you're listening to this podcast, you just can walk away with like one or two mm. things in your toolbox that you may like to, um, you know, start trying out or, you know, bring into your own leadership or bring back to your organization. So for me, yeah, it's all about, you know, what can we actually do as an individual, potentially as a team or even as an organization, just to like keeping ad advancing equity um, in our workplaces and challenging our thinking. Mm, perfect. Yeah. And I don't, I don't imagine that there's a finish line where you go, great, this is the most, uh, the best leadership I've got or the, the most inclusive environment ever. I'd imagine that every workplace considers it to be a constant evolution and things change quickly. There's been a lot of changes around this whole conversation of inclusion in general anyway, but you're right. It's about individuals, teams, and organizations. And, and at those three levels, having some, I guess, skills and tools and, and maybe just some, uh, some tactics around this for, for the individual so that, you know, that they do create an inclusive environment. Um, one of the, one of the topics or one of the, the sort of outtakes of this that we've discussed briefly is, is allyship. So, you know, on the road to equity, if you like, um, why do you think having an ally is, is so important in, in, in this space? Yeah, it's a good one actually. And I should have brought that up actually earlier. Just allyship is definitely my, one of my number ones. I think that I talk about, um, to, certainly my women in leadership programs, but general leadership programs. Um, and, and when we're speaking about high performance and inclusion. So, um, I mean, when we dig into equity, right, it's all about celebrating difference. Um, it's about valuing belonging. Um, and really it's about enabling collective success, right. For everyone, because the more yeah. that individuals can contribute, you know, the more successful we're all going to be. And I think allyship as a concept is actually a really great pathway to equity. But I think it's also important, it's, you know, what does it actually mean? You sort of may have an idea of what allyship means, but um, in the workplace, I mean, traditionally, it's about using your personal privilege to support others, right? Who possibly they're earlier in their career, perhaps they're mm. underrepresented, or potentially like people that you feel their voices need to be amplified. And I think having an ally at work, in my words, in my simple words, means that you just have someone who has your back. Right. Mm. Because allies, um, they lend their power, they may lend their privilege, um, and certainly they'll lend their access for others who may not be, you know, in the same position, they may not have the same privileges or expertise or knowledge. Um, and I think therefore allyship becomes this really powerful tool to advance equality, um, and equity, um, because it's true, like others carry our currency on our behalf right through our careers and we can't be in every meeting room and we can't be involved, you know, in every conversation and decision, but we need to make sure that people are in our corner and that mm. they'll use their currency, if you like, on our behalf to help us continue to carry forwards our career growth and the ambitions that we may have. And that's what I love about allyship. Mm. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Thanks for explaining that. To be honest, I didn't really understand it on that depth. So yeah, thanks. Thanks for clarifying what it's all about. I think, I guess, naturally when you're speaking there, I'm instantly thinking of some examples, maybe in my, my world or my career. And I kind of, um, if I can just, sh just share yeah, a really yeah. basic example, but just as a, just as a young ish, uh, health professional, um, 
I was working in a, in a large hospital or, you know, public health sort of sector. And I was probably the least, least experienced, um, or I was the least experienced and pretty much, you know, day 10 into the, to the role. Um, the other thing about this particular team setting, and I'm trying not to go into too much details because I know these guys listen, um, but, but, uh, I, I'm, I would have been, um, one of maybe two guys in the team. So it was pretty much a 90% female, um, 10% bloke <laughs> ratio in the team. So mm-hmm. I, I actually felt a little bit like, and that's, that's actually quite common in public health settings, males to females. Um, I felt a little bit out of, out of place, to be honest, and, and being younger as well. So not being, having the maturity to talk about what the rest of the team were talking about at team meetings and things like that. How often talking about parenting and kids and all that kind of thing. And all I probably wanted to do was talk about footy and <laughs> something more, wow. uh, some, something more mid twenties, you know? Um, so anyway, like the, the example, maybe that comes to mind is there's actually, there was actually a, a senior, uh, manager in, in the team female as well. And she, she would notice, she noticed that I was a bit out of the, um, out of the the pack, if you like, when it came to those social, uh, outings or those social, you know, meetings and things like that. So she just engaged me. I, pro- I was probably at risk of being unengaged pretty quickly in that environment. I think she probably noticed that. So anyway, it was really just a, quite a simple thing for her where she offered me, uh, she, she reached out and offered me a chance to follow her around in the role that she did um, so that I could learn more off her because I was, I'm a, I'm a very active learner and I get kind of get bored quickly if I'm not um, engaged. And I think so, so this, this leader was quite smart. So I think she just picked out that, Hey, this guy's probably uh, at risk of um, just getting, getting lost here because we're talking about kids and and stuff. (laughs) I'm sure she saw opportunity as well. And I think that's a great thing about allyship is that, Probably it yeah. was somebody that saw you more earlier in your career um, and thought, you know what, this guy actually deserves to be, you know, to, to learn and grow and, and for her to want to actually help you in doing that. And I think you pro- I'd be interested to know from your experience, like, did you, and this is the beauty of allyship, mm. is find the opportunities through this person that you can shine. So, you know, you, you are able to discuss, you know, what you're, what you're great at, what you're passionate about. Um, I guess a little bit like a mentor, you know, sometimes it is about actually getting some advice, uh, although mm-hmm. mentor is a little bit different to allyship, but I think, you know, you've got someone in your corner, like this woman who mm-hmm. can actually really start to advocate on your behalf. And I'm sure as you built the relationship with her, she was able to also work out all of, you know, where you added value and contribution and was able to advocate on in, in those areas. Absolutely. Yeah. I still, I still remember the, the, the person quite well. And also just the, the pathway that I went on after, after finishing within that role actually propelled me into what I'm kind of doing today. Um, following a certain pathway using some of her network as well to, to sort of pave the way if you like. So yeah, it's a really good, I, I thought that was maybe a, a bit off the cuff here with, with that example, but it's, but that's, that, that's a meaningful one to me. Um, what about you, uh, Poppy, have you had experience or example like you, with yourself? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, I've had plenty of examples in my career. There's probably, um, one, um, in particular earlier in my career, definitely, um, just like you, you know, less experienced, more junior. And I think this particular person who I actually would be willing to say, I mean, were a wonderful person. I worked with Qantas Group for many years, mm-hmm. uh, the executive head at the time, Dave Oscar, who's now actually the CEO of Medibank. He used to come up to me all the time and, you know, ask me questions like, you know, what are you working on? Or, you know, what's going well? 
um, you know, any road bumps, that sort of thing. And it seemed like it always used to happen in the lift. And I often <laughs> was, why well, I've got nowhere to go. And I, I've honestly, for a time I did used to freak out. I think God, what, what would somebody so senior want to hear mm. from me? You know, and what do I say and how do I not look silly? And would he even care really about my ideas and opinions? And the key lesson for, I guess, myself in hindsight, and also to share on with others is that over time, I, I certainly learned the importance, right, of these interactions. And I think what I learned to be was to be prepared with, you know, when David walked around the corner, because I really did start to realize that he, he did have my back and he did want to advocate for me. And, and we built a relationship because I guess I knew that, you know, he was going to come and he was going to ask questions. And I learned to, I guess, with a bit of courage to be really mm. ready for a response. Um, and I knew he wanted my opinion, so I shared it. Um, and I knew he wanted to know potentially the challenges I was facing. So I, I shared and I remember vividly sharing when I felt like priorities maybe were a problem. And the other thing too is we built this relationship over time where I also felt I could share my personal challenges um, and stress. And I remember when I tragically lost my brother, um, you know, David was a tremendous support um, as an ally to me through that time and helping me navigate those stresses, those personal and professional stresses. Um, so, and, and I guess too, for, for me, allyship is a lot, like fundamentally, it's about building good relationships. And mm. even people as I knew that he really loved um, a latte and I'd only just started drinking coffee at this point. So, <laughs> you know, I used to find those occasions to, you know, say, hey, would you, I'm, I'm grabbing a coffee. Do you want one? You know, before we went into this meeting. So a lot of it was like quite light touch, but I absolutely found my ally um, in David Cosgrove Qantas um, group. And I, I knew he was right behind the decisions that definitely gave me numerous career opportunities with both Qantas and, um, and Jetstar. So I think from my story, my biggest advice for getting an ally is like, do your groundwork. Um, people often say mm. to me, how do you get an ally? And I say, like, do your groundwork, know your organization and who has a seat, right, at the decision-making table, who makes decisions that might impact you, right, or your team or the outcomes of things that you're working on. Um, and then once you understand who those people are, identify actually someone who's got some really good visibility into your work. Um, so you might not report to this person, and I didn't report directly. Um, to David, um, but perhaps you present to them in meetings, right? And I used to present to him all the time. Um, so identify somebody who do, does have good visibility and then really pick one or two of these people and start building just a deeper relationship with them. It's, I think I mentioned earlier, it's all just in my view about frequency of touch. So, mm. you know, what ways do you have to interact with these people, you know, is it having a conversation? Is it asking questions? Is it seeking their input, you know, over a coffee? Um, can you take something additional on? Um, so it's mm. just these frequent, small, light touch interactions. And I think they've got to be authentic. They've got to bring value um, to each other. Um, and this is how you get an ally. And mark my words, senior people want to learn and grow their knowledge from junior people as, as much, you know, often I think when we are mm. junior, we're very daunted by reaching out to people that may have more experience, but everyone brings value to the table, right? Everyone brings value. Um, so with your ally, really try and think about the value, right? That you bring to the table and, and find opportunities to share that. Yeah, that's a really, 
fantastic example and great great experience for for you there with um with that that gentleman uh, that, that's unreal um poppy i guess when it comes to just just another i guess sort of switching gears a little bit here like when it comes to inclusion as well just in the workplace and we've talked about allyship and one of the things that we we've heard a lot about is bias i guess there's lots of different biases now and i feel like i'm learning of a new bias every every few months but i guess like in a in a workplace setting one of the biggest things uh to create inclusion clearly is calling out calling out bias um you know as you see it in saying that though i would love to hear from you as to you know how bias can be i guess damaging in a workplace and just any experiences that you have as well yeah oh yeah it's so true i mean bias is i think firstly it's natural right as mm. it, it, important that we understand that bias affects all of us, right? And as humans, every one of us is actually going to fall victim to unconscious bias. It's just, yes, it's human. Yeah. Um, so they're natural human traits. And I think when we actually understand that we, uh, we can be less judgmental towards ourselves and others. So it's really important first to understand that if they're natural, they're unconscious, but we absolutely have to keep them in check. And I think definitely most of us have probably felt bias. Um, in our careers and in our lives. And we've probably been called out many times being biased ourselves. I always say, I think the most important thing, and you touched on it when you said there's always like new biases coming out, is, mm. what, you know, whatever biases you do choose to, to learn about, be aware of them. Like we need to, we can't stop something or catch it out if we're not aware of it. Um, I, I always draw on five biases that catch us out um, I did my coaching training through the Neuroleadership Institute. They're brilliant. Uh, mm -hmm. They, um, you know, phenomenal um, resources for the workplace, certainly around diversity and inclusion and leadership. And they talk about five unconscious biases, um, similarity bias, like we like what is similar and, you know, yes. what we do. So we need to be aware of that. Um, we also like what confirms our thoughts and at our, you know, our existing thoughts and doesn't challenge us. It's often referred to as expedience. And then experience mm -hmm. is the third one. So that's basically we like what we know, right? So what we've experienced in the past, we tend to have a bias towards that. And funnily enough, distance is actually an interesting one as well. So we actually as humans like what's physically closer to us. So we'll be biased to that. And lastly, mm -hmm. which makes sense, right? Like, you know, we like as individuals what's safest for us and what's proven to be safe. And we can therefore... Mm -hmm to that. And I will tell you by way of my firsthand experience of that is I think when it comes to innovation and new ideas, like I've worked in consumer goods, um, I've worked in very innovative, fast paced businesses and probably one of the, and you know, the thing that could hamstring us the most sometimes was that safety. And it was almost like safety of new ideas, because if we weren't, I guess, thinking boldly, and thinking about something that was potentially, you know, a, a little bit unsafe, if you like, because it was something new and it was going into, you know, uncharted territory, then we may hold back from innovating on that. And I think every time we did that and, and didn't take the bold risks, sometimes it was well calculated, but other times we, we missed out on those innovative opportunities and competitors got ahead. So I think, you know, that's a classic example of our need to feel safe and what's mm. proven work it it can also stop us to be innovative and i i used to i've experienced that definitely yeah um, yeah that well that one's quite an interesting one and i kind of it makes me think of have you heard of the saying slow feet don't eat 
I was telling, I was telling, oh, it's like basically, basically just move. You need to, you need to move fast if you, you know, if you want to, I guess, compete in the world. And um, I think, you know, the last few years, that's been an important sort of little motto that I've, I've heard. And then I've started to, started to, to say, it. Oh, wow. I think, um, yeah, yeah. Feel free to take that one if you like. Um, the, the bias for me, I, yeah, instantly thought of, and this is, this is a bit sad for me to admit, but I think in recruitment, um, so going back maybe five years or so with um, our business recruiting health professionals, really easy for us to go through some CVs, see some, see some, maybe some names or some, some places where they'd work and pretty much be like, yeah, that's the, that's the front runner there. Or perhaps also recruiting friends of friends because, you know, they're good. So maybe their friend is good and just sort of recruiting faster and probably missing out on some uh, on some good talent. And it wasn't always the case that their friends were as good as them. <laughs> so, so we kind of missed the boat. So short, taking shortcuts in recruitment and, and uh, again, I don't really know what bias particularly that is, but it's kind of, maybe that's familiarity or similarity between people and talent and that kind of thing. And just going, yeah, that's, that's kind of, that'll be, that'll work. <laughs> yeah. And it's a bit of experience too. You know, we, we like what we know, you know, we may exactly. know we we may have a preconceived idea of, you know, what that role is going to do and how it's going to come to fruition. And we actually haven't considered what, you know, vast experience and difference that somebody could bring into that role to shape it, to be even better. That's right. I, yeah. I, on this recruitment, I, I do hear it. I'm, I'm working with a client I, actually at the moment, and we were talking about, um, you know, just our ideas on, from a, a professional coach perspective, who could be our professional coach um, recruits. And I think, you know, there was 30 people in the room discussing and everyone sort of said, oh, they have to be a clinically, you know, a clinically trained psychologist, or they have to be an organizational psychologist. And I think, you know, people came obviously with preconceived ideas of who a professional coach could be. And we had a really robust discussion because, you know, at the end of the day, a professional coach, um, you know, I have a psychology background, but I'm not a qualified clinical psychologist, but people who have worked in business that are, you know, HR professionals or done a lot of facilitating and, and training of, of personal development within their organization, they bring tremendous value. Um, you know, whereas obviously educators, like think about educators and teachers. So, so often they've had tremendous experience working in schools or working with adults and they bring a raft of experience that could potentially, you know, help others as well. So I think often we need to look you know, in your, I guess, to your comment about who we recruit for, you know, we have to look at obviously what we're recruiting for and really consider like the diverse skill sets and the diverse mm. people could actually really bring great value into that role. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess from, from where we were with that example to, to now it's, uh, we've really seen the benefit of, um, yeah, way more diversity and just diversity of thought as well, which has been super important to challenge to challenge the whole existing business and what it was to sort of what it is today. So yeah, I've seen the upside of, of being, um, yeah, learning from those mistakes anyway. With, with yeah. bias though, like if you're in a team, right. And cause if you think about what we've talked, spoken about so far, we've talked about allyship in my head, which is really around the individual. We're talking about bias, calling yes. it out now. It's really more at a team level. Um, like in your, yeah, in your view, how do you, call it out? Like, is it, is it really just calling it out in being more vocal in a team environment? Is there a certain way that you would, you know, I guess, yeah, call it out. Is there any tips there? Yeah. I, um, to me, it's just one question, right? Because I think 
we can all get caught up in all of these biases and then sort of mm. think, what do I do when and what? We need to be yes. aware of the biases, absolutely. But one question, right? So whenever you are making a decision, whenever your team is making a decision, stop and ask yourselves, is this decision I'm making based on fact or feeling, mm. right? Because too often when we ask ourselves that question, we actually can say, mm, you know what, actually this is based on feeling, not yeah. fact. Um, and we must be making our decisions based on fact, right? And we have to have the courage as team members and certainly leaders and individuals that to call out that potential bias uh, if we're feeling that decisions are made without the best facts or without any facts at all. And I think mm -hmm. the easiest thing to do is to pause and check yourself. You know, is this decision I'm making back based on fact or feeling? Great question. Love that. And I think for recruiting, um, recruitment example that I was talking about, I had someone who's a friend and a recruiter and this is, uh, this mm -hmm. might sound horrible, but she said, assume everyone's a criminal. So basically what she meant by that is, uh, do your research and find enough facts, I guess, in, in the person that you're recruiting through references and everything to, to really logically get it to that decision point. Um, yeah, that's a great question, Poppy. I love that. I love that one. I, it's, it's an interesting one back to like that recruitment because I often do think <laughs> it comes down, a lot of this conversation can come down to when you're hiring talent and I will, without disclosing, you know, the organization or who, but I was in a room making decisions with other leaders on new recruits many years ago. And I remember vividly someone said, you know, I don't think we should hire so-and-so. Um, and I remember asking at the time, like, why? Um, and, and noticing yeah. that person actually at the time seemed uncomfortable with the question. Um, and the response was sort of along the lines of, you know, oh, well, you know, they hadn't done well on the assessment. Mm. And I thought, okay, well, that's fair. Okay. But I sort of said, well, what did we actually assess them on? You know, what, what were we testing them on? Um, and mm. on this particular occasion, I just remember it was a very vague response and it was like, oh, look, we don't have the results. And I thought to myself, but hang on, you know, well, if we don't have the results, we, we do have to use, if you like, the data points that we do have. And, and I'd been involved um, in this recruitment and I knew that we'd seen this person's experience um, as part of the process. They'd had to do a case study, right, that they'd completed. Mm. They actually had to come in and work in group work. You know, we checked off all the references. Um, and definitely they'd been earmarked by myself and others as somebody that brought a lot of passion, right, into this role. So if you look at all of those factual and data points, it was like, to be honest, I felt that this candidate definitely deserved to be in the mix, to be hired and, and down to the last couple. Um, and I guess that sh just sharing that personal example was, well, I sort of look back and go, well, I guess I just called a thing a thing, right? Like I, I mm. called out. I, 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 I simply use the facts, if you like, and back mm. to my question of are these decisions being made on fact or feeling like I, you know, I was drawing on the facts, um, as much. And I guess, you know, using my voice to be able to diplomatically unearth those facts. Um, and, and on the record mm. that individual actually did go on to be hired, um, and yeah. they're a team performer and they're still actually with the organization today. Oh, oh unreal. Yeah. Yeah. It's bright. It's, it's, it's hard. It is sometimes hard to make, ask that question, but now that everyone has the question that you've, you've, um, you've pointed out, it's going to, uh, we, yeah, it's a great call. It's a great call. It's a, it's a non-threatening question. It's a very objective one to be asking yeah. in a, in a team setting. I love that. Poppy on a, at an organizational level, um, we're talking about, I guess we talk about building 
you know, diversity inclusion uh, solutions. Um, sometimes, like like what we said at the start, sometimes diversity inclusion can feel a little bit buzzwordy, and it's kind of like I'm always like, cool. What do we? How do we? What does it mean? And also, what do we? What do we do? So, I guess from your perspective, what do you think organisations can do to sort of build out those DNI plans um, that actually work? Like, what? Yeah. What do you? What do you think on that one? Well, it is a great question. Where to start? Um, <laughs> Big well, question. I think, look, from what I've read to the great thing to start with is diversity and inclusion yeah. is definitely on the rise, right? It's increasing. It's on organizations' agendas. I definitely think more and more it's becoming less of a tick in the box. So, you know, pat on yes. the back. That's all. Um, I think globally, I read recently, we still only spend about um, 7 billion, right, on diversity and inclusion, which actually is not much. If you think about that globally, it, mm-hmm. it's not a lot. But um, oh. it, it, the literature that I have read to has said that, you know, that it's confirmed to probably double, you know, du- more than double over the next um, sort of three to four years. So again, great, we're heading in the right directions. But I think a, a lot a lot of problems remain around, I guess, you know, diversity and inclusion plans that work, if you like. Many organisations still do balk at action. Um, a lot aren't sure where to actually start. And I think the other thing too that I hear is, you know, organisations roll out what I'd call some of the cookie cutter initiatives that don't really target the right thing. And I think that's the, that point is probably the things that trips us up the most. Um, interestingly, there's some work being done around this by the um, World Health Organisation. They launched what's called the Global Parity Alliance just last year. And it's really a right. cross-functional group that's come together to um, really, I guess, accelerate diversity and inclusion outcomes. And they've launched this program called the Lighthouse Program, and it's assessed thousands of um, DNI initiatives globally. And it's identified that there's five common factors, right, that actually will make a DNI plan successful versus fail. And I think just even considering these five factors, that's really a great roadmap for all of us to start mm. thinking about how we can build a plan right in our organization that will work. Um, so these five factors um, mm. from the last program, number one, know your root cause problems. And I think that's really important. Like understand what problems are actually bubbling away in your organization and really get like, keep asking why, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Until you get to the root cause. And the quickest way you're going to get there is actually to ask the employees, right, that are impacted. I think too often won't do that. And I think an example here, like um, a current example is, you know, people in the organization having no training or, or limited capability potentially to deal with employees' challenges um, as mm-hmm. an example, because that's increasingly coming. So if you take that example and then you look at like the second factor is then just defining what success, if you were to invest in this, what does actually success look like for your organization? Like what's the end goal? You know, how do you know that you're there? What is success? And I think is it in this example, is it like, for example, all team leaders are trained and then are accessing maybe mental first aid training or perhaps mental fitness, you know, education training. Mm. Um, and so being able to actually define what, you know, what good looks like for you. And then I think the third thing, again, really obvious, but always worth pointing out is having accountable leaders on board, right? So all initiatives have to be built into the core, 
business priorities, not we so often just see D&I as an add-on. Um, and mm. I think leaders have to be accountable, not just to input ideas, but actually to see the outcomes through. And, and a lot of that is about resourcing and budgeting for that. Maybe it's the short term, maybe it's the medium term, maybe it's the longer term. And, you know, for the, this mental first aid training, is it them actually as leaders doing the training? Is it them mm. finding occasions as leaders to share openly with employees on things that they've struggled with, right? So that it is this more, you know, open um, willingness to sort of address this problem. And then I think, you know, the fourth, build the solution for the problem with the employees, right? That's really obvious. Too often, the organization's so focused on building a solution that actually doesn't really consider the pain points of, of the employees. So it's really important mm. they're involved um, and ensuring that that solution can actually work into the everyday, right? Because we're all busy. We've all got, you know, our day-to-day -day work requirements. So consider how, you know, how should your mental fitness education be actually rolled out? So that people with mm. workloads can actually access it, right? And actually turn up in the first place. And then I yeah. think you, um, you'd be, you know all about this one in, in your line of work with clinical health group is track and, uh, track and course correct. So actually defining yeah. what is, what's success, what are the actions I'm going to take? Is it measurable? And how will I track it? And the biggest thing I say too is like, don't be afraid to change course. I think sometimes like we sign into these sort of, you know, plans and we actually realize, you know, somewhere down the track that we need to pivot and we don't mm. like just keep, keep going. So remember when you are, you know, tracking and monitoring, be fluid and, and be agile because at the end of the day, right, we're humans and we're talking about human behavior and that's yeah. always change and be yeah. unpredictable. So slow, uh, slow feet don't eat. There you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think Tom, I'll ask you just on those like considering yeah. some of those factors, maybe one or maybe all of them, like, do you have any examples at, you know, Pinnacle Health Group um, of potential, you know, D&I initiatives that have worked well and, you know, have they drawn on some of these factors, you know, why, if they have worked well, why have they, you know, worked mm. for goals? Yeah, I think, well, just how you've described that, it's very similar to how well, some of those considerations are very similar to how we would probably roll out or structure up a wellbeing program. Um, what we have done at Pinnacle Health Group in the last few years, it's, pro well, it's probably been five years, is actually we've just structured up a full wellbeing program for the team. And I know I'm not talking about diversity inclusion in this, but actually some of the initiatives and some of the um, systems around that are actually directed as, as simply initiatives that are actually about inclusion anyway. So what I mean by that as an example is um, we've got a very... Um, very international team. We've got about 11 different countries in our team, <laughs> represented in our team. And so this, again, I'm, I'm, as I think about this and say it out loud, it might be a little bit, perhaps it might be one of those token initiatives, but each year there is a um, celebration of each, each culture. Um, and we have one day and it's a simple, simple thing where everyone brings in something from their home country and we get it's a, just a chance to celebrate everyone's origin because we ha do have such a diverse um diverse team 11 countries you know from amazing I, I, yeah so it's it's quite cool great for food everyone likes eating food as well so again saying out that that out loud can uh, makes it sound a little bit like a token one-off initiative but it is something that we do every year and um we do have a very big female percentage in our team again so around 70 percent females in our 
team. We've got two in senior leading type roles or, or senior manager type roles as well. And so I think with, with that in mind, and because of the percentage of, of females, I think what we've really focused on in the last few years as well is, well, it's, it's that working, working from anywhere type policy that supports um, working parents and uh, especially mothers, because we, well, I'm also a working parent and I understand the flexibility side of things as well. So I guess we've really focused from a policy perspective, we've been focused more around that work from anywhere idea and that sort of that policy that underpins it so that people feel free to work when it suits them or relative, you know, well, relative to an agreement based on what's needed in the role. Um, and we've got team members that work in not remote areas, but fairly out of city places and we're happy with, happy with that. So we've had to kind of work rework how we work remotely as well and focus on that. So again, as I'm just saying this, I'm not sure if it fits into a typical DNI sort of um, plan, but at a practical level, that's what we've done to support our people and to make sure everyone feels like they can do their work and be supported as well. I think it absolutely does, Tom. Like that example, especially to celebrating, obviously, the culture, that ultimately is about ensuring that everyone feels like they belong, right? Mm. And, and perhaps one of the initiatives is you know, doing it on a day or I, I definitely think that is not token. It's sometimes those small, small moments that's just acknowledging that, you know, everybody belongs in this team um, and mm. that everyone can bring their unique differences um, and, and celebrate them together. And I think belonging um, is so important linking back to well-being, right? which is all about yes. what, what you guys do. And if you don't belong and if you don't feel like you belong in a team or a workplace or an organisation, your well-being is going to be, you know, fairly mm. average. Um, and so the interconnection between belonging, well-being, inclusion is huge. Um, at the end of the day, our, you know, we have to belong to have good well-being. Um, and when we belong, we have a sense of inclusion and therefore we have better well-being. So the concepts are very interlinked. It sounds great what you're doing. Yeah, look, we try, we try, but it's never perfect, is it? And it's, it's a constant thought in the head is how do you improve it and how do you make sure people are feeling included and feel like they're belonging, even though a lot of us are working from home. I've found that a genuine challenge mm. personally. And I guess the only thing we can do is continue to ask people um, practically, how are you going? What do you need? You know, that kind of, how can we support, et cetera. Um, Poppy, yeah. what about you? Any, any good examples on your end that you've been involved in or, or experiences um, with regard to initiatives? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, gosh, many. Um, mm. Inclusion Inclusion, real like diversity inclusion is, for me, diversity is having a seat at the table, right? So ensuring that there's lots of different people at the seat of the table, but inclusion is about having a voice at the table, right? And too yes. often we actually confuse both of them. Like we think that we've got D&I down packed because we've got a diverse team, but then really how much are those yep. you know, unique perspectives contributing? And I think I, um, I was certainly fortunate uh, in many of my years at Swiss, we used to, we were a company that innovated all the time. We used to have a lot of brainstorming sessions and it was almost an underwritten rule that when ideas were being shared, everybody in the meeting was expected and encouraged to contribute an idea, right? Everyone's various and the various um, seniorities, cross-functional, and everyone had to contribute an idea and was encouraged and celebrated. And what worked really well is none of our ideas were ever analyzed, discussed until every single person had had the opportunity to share their idea. 
And it was only once when we had all the ideas that then as a group, did we go through it and, and link it back to the strategy and the objectives and the pros and cons, and we, and we would have a robust discussion. Um, but I found that was a great way of including everyone. I always felt confident to speak up and I definitely noticed those that perhaps may not have had the confidence to contribute ideas. They got really great at it because that was just the way we operated, right? Everyone's ideas were that. I love that. Just throw an idea at the board unjudged and, and, uh, and let it sit there and simmer. That's great. That's a really good, um, good example and, and very practical as well. So as a leader, as a leader or a manager, perhaps it's just that, that sort of letting, letting ideas fly without judging them sort of withhold, withholding judgment, analyze later kind of idea. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. It's Very all good. lessons to be, or as we talked about at the get-go, it's all, I think we can keep, as long as we keep trying and as long as we keep asking and as long as we keep working out what's not working and what's not, what is working and what's not, we mm. can continue to really advance, I think, in diversity and inclusion and find great allies and call out bias and hopefully build plans for our organizations that will work. Thanks, Poppy. That's a great summary. I won't, I won't add to that. That's, un, that's an unreal finish. Uh, thanks so much for your time, Poppy. Great to chat again. Take care. Thanks, Tom. Always great to chat. Thanks for tuning in to another Well Workplaces podcast. If you've loved the show, it would be fantastic if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or feel free to follow us on LinkedIn or Instagram and search Well Workplaces or my profile, Tom Bosner. If you would like to hear more about our exclusive events and more about the Well Workplaces community, feel free to email me directly at tom at wellworkplaces.com.au where I'd love you to tell me who I should interview in the future podcasts. This podcast is really built on community input and built on the aspiration of inspiring healthy change in every workplace. Thanks for listening.